Welcome to the Raise with Jesus podcast, 10 minutes every day where the life of Jesus meets yours. You've got the third part of our three-part series with Professor Mark Paustian on the topic of doubt, faith, and apologetics. Here goes. It's really that the Christian testimony confronts people with the true scandal of the cross, that uh, without Christ we're lost forever. This is the Son of God who laid down his life for us all and redeemed the world. And that's not something I can make palatable to you. So think about a question like, um, what about those that never hear the gospel? You know, I think any thinking person has that question. What about those that never hear the gospel? How is this fair? I think the uniquely Lutheran answer is, God may seem to be unfair. And in that moment, I only have the gospel. I only have Christ in the cross saying, this is who God is. I only have the gospel itself revealing his true heart. And it's the Lutheran apologist that uniquely simply testifies to that. You know, um, does that kind of make sense? I, yeah, yeah. And that we, um, we know what we, we know talk based about. On what God reveals, and it comes, it meets our minds in a collision with everything we would naturally think or understand. And we run to the gospel. It's not that we can't answer questions people have all day long with the scriptures open. Of course we do. But ultimately, um, this is the unassailable position that I believe what I believe based on what the word of God says. Yeah. And that it's not a, not a simply faith in, in my faith and not a faith in, um, this is just what I was raised in, but that this is what I've seen from the word of God myself mm -hmm. and kind of that, that, and that kind of drives, I mean, that's, that's that idea of, of confidence that, um, of all people, the, you know, the, the Bible reading Christian might be the person least likely to get, get emotionally involved in an argument in a detrimental way right. um, to like devolve into argumentation or a shouting match or anything like that and storming off. Um, because if you've got that, you know, this is the way I see it and correct me if I'm wrong, but if you've got that basic understanding of how a person comes to faith and in my job as, as a witness, not as a, a as a lawyer, but simply as a witness, um, then what do I have to get upset about if, if you reject what I said, or if you disagree with what I said, okay, you insult me. Um, or, or maybe, maybe you have further questions, but, um, the bottom line is I'm, I'm simply here to point you to Jesus. And, and if I've done that, then I want to do that as, as well as I can, obviously. Um, but that, that is a distinctively different goal than simply addressing every, every rational or concern that comes up um, in the hopes of addressing all of them so that finally, finally you can believe. We have a very interesting experience um, in the class. Oh, there's a day where I have us kind of role play. So we're in pairs and one of you is the believer prepared to answer questions. The other is the skeptic. And uh, so we introduce some kind of challenge and say, go. And the first time we ever did this exercise in class, I let it go for about three minutes and I thought, holy cow, what's going on here? This is crazy. And I think what we what we all learned, we just kind of looked around at each other and holy cow, it's easy to be a skeptic. <laughs> it's easy to play that role. It just rolls off the tongue because we have the old Adam in us that is the natural born doubter. And it's just, it's just easy to, to mm -hmm. think of pot shots and complaints and so on. So then you think about why is it, so to play the role of the believer in that role play, why is it so difficult? And I, part of the answer is, you know, if faith is a gift, 
that is sustained in me by the word of God and by the Holy Spirit, working through the means of grace, if that's what it is, then I really can't explain it to the full satisfaction of anybody. I can't explain it to myself, to my own full rational satisfaction. I am simply being kept in, kept in faith by the Holy Spirit through the Word of God. And so I think the other thing about our apologetic couple things is that we, th we see our apologetics as an extension of the life of faith. See a man captivated by the cross. My, my goal is just to be transparently Christian in these conversations. And so you're right. What's there to argue about? I, my, my, I just want to show you a person captivated by the grace of God. And, and so the other thing that's really, that, that leads into this really very um, foundational, I've been kind of developing the concept for myself of an apologetic of the word. He says, if we're right about this, and if we're convinced about this, then our whole objective really is to get the Bible open. Our whole objective is just to do that. Um, I remember uh, I've heard an interview on Larry King just years ago. And Larry King, of course, likes to have Christians on and, question, and ask these hard questions about suffering and hell and things like that. Um, and he's asking a question in the mode of, why do you think this is true? Why do you believe this nonsense about Christianity? And within about 20 seconds, the, the man he was interviewing somehow turned the conversation into a discussion of the scriptures. And it was just, it was remarkable. It was all of a sudden, we're not talking about what you might call epistemology. How do you know what you know? We're not, suddenly we're not talking about grounding this in with a rational foundation. Suddenly we're talking about Psalm 19 or, or Psalm 22. And I just thought that that's what I want to do. I want to figure out the ways there are to move the conversation into biblical grounds. Um, Somebody has put it this way. This is kind of the academic way of saying it, that the the number one intellectual task of the church is not um, epistemology, not grounding truth in a rational basis, um, which people today, I think Christians today, feel tremendous pressure to do that, but I'm not buying it. But instead that the number one intellectual task of the church is hermeneutic, which just means it's living in our texts and understanding the meaning of our sacred texts. And so... That really informs me in a profound way that says, I want these conversations to turn and move and to be a conversation about Psalm 22 or Psalm 16, the resurrection Psalm, or, you know, um, Gospel of Matthew or the end of Luke's Gospel. I want to move the conversation to those places or just say, let's read your Bible, read your New Testament, come back to me, let's talk. Read the Gospel of John, come back, let's talk. So, do you know, does that make sense? The clarity of the Lutheran apologist saying, this is my task. Mm -hmm. I want the Word of God to be in your mind. I want you to wait and consider it. And so someplace in there, there's room for, I think, resurrection apologetics. If we give it a careful space to say, if you think this is a fairy tale, if that's what you think, you know, I think that's kind of our intellectual climate nowadays. It's just, it strikes the mind as just some odd cultural leftover from me. <laughs> you know, some strange place. If that's what you think, uh -huh. then let's, you know, you gotta have, a, you gotta have an opinion about what actually happened in Jerusalem um, in that first century, because it is pretty remarkable. There's, there's an awful lot of things that we have. We take in total confidence historically. They have nothing like the kind of evidence the resurrection has or a similar a line of thought goes with the New Testament. The, the phenomenal, astounding reliability of the New Testament. I, th I think there's reasons to get sharp on those things and be prepared to have that conversation, if only for the sake of our true agenda, which is you should think about this and then we crack open 
you know, whatever. The letter to the Philippians. Or let's say Galatians, 1 Corinthians, those letters that really aren't in any kind of doubt among scholars out there. Uh, those are taken for granted to be just what they purport to be. So let's open those letters and see what's there. So it, it's kind of like saying, if you say to the young believer, well, you just got to believe, we can do better than that. You know, when Paul is before King Agrippa, he doesn't say, well, King Agrippa, you just got to believe. He says, this didn't happen in the corner. <laughs> go go interrogate the witnesses all you want. Uh-huh. It's a real event that happened in the real world, and you get to investigate that all you want. But why? So that we can get we can get back to that simple testimony um, that, I, again, I can't make rational to you. Luke Thompson writes, it's not that the gospel is reasonable, it's that the unreasonable actually happened. You know, there's just the true scandal of of uh, what Jesus accomplished for us. So, sorry, Pastor, you kind of got me going yeah. there again. Oh no, that's, that's quite track, all right. Hey, this I is track great. Of the original question. This is great. We're gonna have a two part episode out of this. <laughs> <laughs> I'm up for that. That's a, and, but that's a really nice turn of phrase. Um, not that it's a rational faith, reasonable faith, but that the unreasonable happened. Um, and and that kind of touches on, I guess. You know the the two main levers of for the unbeliever, especially when they're ma- taking their pot shots, are you know reason, um, whether that's that's fact um, or you know rational objection of the human nature, um, and emotion, which is typically that emotional plea. You know what about what about that person who didn't have the chance to hear the gospel during their lifetime, and and how do you? Well, I guess this is a little bit more broad. Where do you see our our current culture and society at? in respect to reason and, and emotion um, when it comes to objections to the faith. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Okay. So, Yeah. If, um, if you want like as broad a question as you can get. No, because- this is great. I, I, I think, I think in terms of what it's like to have faith when we live in a truly secular age, so there's a Christian philosopher named Charles Taylor that writes a book, writes about this, the, the secular age. And it's it's a, a place we've arrived only in the last couple of decades where people more and more live their life without any reference to God at all. And more and more people really think they can live a meaningful life here in the imminent frame. Um, no transcendent, nothing higher. And yet people are able to consider that meaningful in the broad sense. And so what it means for the believer is I think more and more Christians not only experience that pressure to to lay some rational ground, which nobody can, by the way. Everybody in the world lives on presuppositions. Everybody in the world believes things at a level that they can't argue. Um, And you find that out when you try to argue with somebody who doesn't happen to share your presupposition, you find out that you can't really. So it's not the Christian alone who who maybe feels the pressure to lay a rational ground where none is possible. Um, Mm -hmm. But I think everybody feels that. But the Christian, I think, more and more tends to experience their faith as something fragile. You're just living in the cultural milieu we do, living, breathing in the worldview that we breathe in. Um, They experience their faith as something fragile. And um, I think that's kind of a new thing. Um, Mm -hmm. I, I think there was a day when people could not very easily imagine the non-existence of God. I think people today found it very easy to imagine God not existing. And the Christian just sort of absorbs that and again experiences their faith as something um, that I think that they're hesitant to, I don't know, maybe argue or they're hesitant to put forward in the public arena because it just feels, you just feel the foolishness of it. 
Um, and of course, the apostles say that is, we know how it sounds. The gospel is foolishness to those who are perishing, but it also happens to be the very wisdom of God, you know. So your question was, yeah, I, I don't know where people are at. I think, I think there are still those that try to hold to um, a rational worldview. You know, there are those that haven't given up. They haven't seen that the the path to the ultimate truth by the path of reason, that project has failed. Mm -hmm. um, but for a lot of people, it's still alive. They still want to ground their truth in their own powers of reason. I think on the other hand, there's this whole thing called post-truth, right? And so in post-truth post mentality, people have kind of just given up entirely. You know, it used to be that people were skeptical about the Christian faith and they would say, give me your evidence. Now people are just cynical and they don't care what your evidence is. I just don't care. And I think that's based on just sort of autonomy. No one's going to tell me how to live. I don't care what your evidence is. And any evidence you offer me is oppressing me because I just don't care. That's just pure cynical. And mm -hmm. and if you have that view, then your whole worldview, I think, is, is built on feeling. It is really built on emotion and group identity. And finally, it's just about which group happens to hold power, right? Yeah. So I think both are true. There's There still is that sort of scientific mentality that says we'll, we'll get there if we just reason this out and sift the evidence we'll we'll find truth that way but there's this whole other thing happening on the opposite end so that'd be my best take that that uh, a secular worldview goes those two directions i, th I think in yeah. a way yeah definitely and i think what um what has proven most helpful at least to me in in conversation when 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 this kind of comes up is um is starting with the natural knowledge of god and and making just a blatant <laughs> i don't know if that's the word for it but a blatant assertion you know like based on what ecclesiastes 4 um god says that he has set eternity in the hearts of man but man doesn't know what he's done since the beginning of time till now and and the way that i might phrase that is you know what you you know deep down that um that there's more to life than this but you living in denial of that is totally living against what you in trying to forget what you know deep down and i think that's what you're really trying to struggle with is what do i do when i know that there's more to life than this and if i keep myself busy with the next shiny object or you know keep, keep myself enraged with the next um agenda coming down the pike <laughs> then i don't have to worry about it and but I guess that kind of, kind of the other, the other thing that kind of touches on that then is how much, how much do you need to know to have a spiritual conversation with, with a friend, um, when this friend has legitimate doubts and may be a little bit more forward with you than with anybody else. Mm -hmm. I think you know what you just said is a good starting point. That um, regardless of how people might report their reasons for not believing, which tend to be about suffering or they tend to be about intellectual troubles they have, or it tends to be about just how they want to live their life. People report their unbelief in those ways, but I think the biblical view is what you said, that people are actively suppressing what they actually know on some level to be true. The, the voice of their own conscience is pressing on people every day, and this is the thing God has printed on people, that there's a way we ought to live and that we are not that way. And so the notion that people are suppressing the truth the knowledge of God may, the natural knowledge of God may sleep a little deeper in the postmodern mind because there's a lot of help out there in our culture to suppress the truth. And there's a lot of people on your side when you suppress the truth. But that's that's a yeah, an important starting point. Um, 
Tim Keller writes in his book, uh, The Reason for God, he has this thing I found very useful recently as far as, you know, how we approach people in the starting point. I like the fact that he says, let's not talk about proof. Let's talk about clues. So proof for the reality of God, you know, if there's a one in a million, 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 million chance this universe can exist without a creator, you know, that's what the scientists all agree. Well, that's not proof, mm-hmm. right? You still have that one in a million, million chance that this is all totally accidental. All the dials of the whatever gravitational constants are just set the way they're supposed to be. And yeah, it's not proof. But as a clue, you know, as a clue to the to the meaning of the universe, it's profound, right? I mean, and you can, you can, I think the two core issues are resurrection and New Testament apologetics. But addition third is, is this whole, um, set of reasons to take the existence of God very seriously. And, you know, the cosmological argument, the, the universe can't explain itself. It just can't. You have to look beyond matter, energy, space, and time to explain it. You just, you just can't explain itself. Nothing that we know exists that came out of non-existence. Nothing that we know um, doesn't have a cause. And so there has to be something beyond what we see that is the uncaused cause, and God is just simply necessary. You know, so, but, but the, the point is, let's not talk about Let's talk about clues. And then there's clues in, my goodness, the, the resurrection again. People that were in a position to know if it was true or not gave everything they had to the testimony that they witnessed Christ alive. And there was a generation of people alive that could have refuted this and they didn't. And, and the New Testament itself is just this phenomenal, phenomenal thing that that if you once tried to refute it, it's not so easy, you know? I don't know how it, if I was an unbeliever, if I became that, God forbid, I don't know how I'd explain these things. I just wouldn't think about them. I wouldn't let my think about, I wouldn't let myself think about prophecy. I just wouldn't, you know? But, so the question of where you start with people, I think the natural knowledge of God might be an important starting point. I also, I also like uh, the question of, what are you living for? I like that question too. What makes your life meaningful? And what's going to happen to that? You know, you ground your meaning in this world. What's going to happen when a thing is taken away from you? Um, And, you know, you can be, you can express all the false bravado you want to about you. Like, you like the universe being meaningless. You think it's freeing and stuff, but come on. Everybody worships something. Everybody needs something. Everybody builds their life on something that they call meaningful. And what are you going to do? When your when your whole source of that is in this world, it's going to crash and burn with everything else. So I like that as a starting point too. Um, mm-hmm. You know, um, the Apostle Paul is saying, "For me to live is Christ, and to die is gain." Is there's nothing else you can put in that spot? Yeah. It works. For me to live is what family. For me to live is possessions, wealth, pleasure. Mm-hmm. Anything else you put there. It's just gonna like like uh, David Foster Wallace wrote. It's gonna eat you alive. It's just well, but for me to live as Christ, then when death comes closer, it's it's not death coming closer to take away everything that I called meaningful. It's death coming closer and closer to bring to me what I've made my life all along, you know, by grace. There's nothing else that works. So you know, as far as can I get to that place? with a skeptic where we're just really having a transparent conversation about life and what it means. And then in that conversation, can I ultimately just be a witness mm-hmm. testify, you know, again, see a man captivated by the cross. Here's, here's what makes my life make sense to me. 
And um, we can talk all day. Again, King Agrippa didn't happen in the corner. We can talk all day about the reasons to take it seriously. We really can. Yeah, It's, it's an incredible thing we can look at. Um, but ultimately, it's, you know, um, I know whom I have, be- I have believed in. And ultimately, it's that you and I find the word of God itself to be self-authenticating. Mm-hmm. It just convinces us. And as sinner saints, we live the dilemma of having a part of me that doesn't get it. And the more I wallow in my sinful flesh, the more I'm going to doubt. That's just, that's just a normal Christian life. But I turn to the word of God, and especially I have a faithful Christian brother or sister who speaks it to me. Um, I find myself once again preserved and kept in this, in this uh, marvelous truth that Jesus is everything he said he was. You know, um, so starting points with people, I think, I think it's good to ask that question is to search for, yeah, what, how does this conversation open up? Yeah. You know, um, and then how can I get the word of God open and the essential gospel just working through a person's mind just to, for once, weigh it, for once, consider, mm-hmm. you know, Give up, give up, please, just for five minutes, that posture of, oh, this is nonsense, you know, just think of it with me. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I, I, I always, I think in a polarized culture, I think the main thing I try to bring to apologetics is my, this may be unique among our brothers and sisters is just the communication side. And, and that is that I don't want us to ever lose track of the fact that we're dealing with real people again with stories mm-hmm. and they don't reduce to their objection. Uh, the church is full of hypocrites. Okay, I know you say that, but there, there's more to you than that. There's yeah. a whole story behind that, and I want to hear that. I want to hear that story. Who's the hypocrite in your life, and what <laughs> happened? <laughs> yeah, exactly. What happened? Tell me what happened, because I'm sure something did. It's kind of like uh, I hope this won't offend anybody. Um, Tim Keller would say when someone comes back from the college, which is where we started, and says, uh, "Pastor, I lost my faith." You know what he says back? He says, yeah. "Who are you sleeping with?" He says, who, who are you sleeping with? You know, which is just to say, this is, this is, there's more to this than just your intellectual thing that something doesn't make sense to you. Is it uh-huh. something's gotten a hold of you beyond your intellect? You know, um, it's like when my daughter goes to the university, when she did, maybe they were after her mind in the classroom. Maybe they're after her worldview in the classroom, but in the whole milieu of the young college student in their life they're after more than just her mind they're after her love mm-hmm. after what she thinks of as thriving in this world and they're, they're they want to offer different versions of that so shrug, throw off the shackles of morality and you know have at it we, we yeah. dropped her off at college and it just hurts my heart to think of the, the first thing we saw in her dorm uh, there's a bowl of condoms and the sign above the bowl says, have fun girls. This is her introduction to college. And so what I'm trying to express inadequately here is they're not just after her mind. Mm-hmm. They're not just after her worldview, just like advertising. They don't care about your worldview. They're just after, you know, showing you a yeah. picture of living a good life. Some, some version that is other than the version that is the life that we live in Jesus. And, mm-hmm. and so what I started to say was, what I try to bring to the question of apologetics is, is sort of keeping that human element alive, that this is not just merely intellectual and that people have stories and um, people have not just a worldview. They're not just heads on sticks, you know, but they also have their own more difficult to articulate their own version of how life can be lived mm-hmm. in the best way. 
And uh, that goes way beyond intellect. That's about the will, right? And it's also very emotional, as yeah. you suggested earlier. So, yeah, think, the, um, so, so the human piece is hearing stories. Human piece is treating people well. Mm-hmm. You know, the human piece is looking at the relationship. Um, when people walk away from us, they're going to forget much of the content of our conversation, but they're going to remember forever is how they felt. Well, how I felt talking to us. You know, were they honored? Were they loved? Were they, you know, were they treated treated decently and warmly? Or did we hold that back because we disagreed? So so putting the focus on that side of things, putting the focus just on the the relational things that are happening in that conversation um, just has struck me as being very, very important. Oh, definitely. And I, I'm kind of reminded of um, what one of the pastors, Borman, uh, had said, I don't know if it was Tim or John, you know, they're twin brothers who are yeah. pastors in New yeah. York and South Carolina. And uh, one of them said, they were talking about money um, and said, you know, money makes all the, the same promises that God does, but can never follow through. And I think what, what you just touched on, especially, you know, with the, the account of, you know, bringing your daughter and dropping her off at college and, and all the, all the temptations is you could put anything in that blank. Um, making all the same promises of, of love, acceptance, security, anything, <laughs> but in the end it doesn't and isn't able to follow through the way yeah. that, the way that God does. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, you know, I think in today's culture, there's a lot of stereotypes we have to bust through somehow because we are so easily painted for some valid reasons, probably some very not valid reasons, but easily painted as intolerant and hateful and bigoted and all of that. I think that's almost the main thing going on right now that we have to learn how to cut through. And so I think just the whole way we approach the conversation, the whole way we approach people that are this evident that we care what happens to them in this world and the next, you know, just to explode that stereotype as if we're cold and judgmental and just love telling people they're going to hell. I mean, my goodness, I, I can hardly talk about hell without having tears in my eyes as I talk to people. You know, this but but I think that's the very thing that is how maybe we can surprise people if we make our love more evident and are more intentional about that. Mm-hmm. Um and I was I always try not to kind of wring my hands when you see what's happening in our world. There's that verse, is it Philippians? You can tell me faster. <laughs> in a wicked and depraved generation, in a wicked and depraved generation, you shine like stars uh-huh. as you hold out the word of life. Yep. And so just the darker things get, I think that verse says, well, now is when you get to be the church. And now is when the difference um, can be evident in the thing you hold out to people, which is the word of life. You know, it's really, what hope is there besides Christ? I mean, tell me, I don't, honestly it's an honest question what hope is there i don't Uh, see any i think we've tried most of them in the last you know 15 months yeah and and think of how angry people are if this world were all we had of course you'd be angry Mm -hmm. until it becomes what it's supposed to be until every wrong is righted and it's ever been done you're just going to be angry you're just going to be ticked off and there's no you know and uh we can shine like stars if we hold out the word of life in a place like Mm -hmm. this so no ringing hands, no, oh, it's all over. <laughs> you know, no giving up on this. Uh, we have the thing everybody needs so desperately. That's fantastic. And uh, I, I didn't have, I think that was pretty much everything that um, 
that I had jotted down as uh, as questions and topics for us to talk about. Um, and that'll probably wrap us up for today. We'll break this into a two-part episode. So you're probably hearing part two right now. If somebody wanted to um, to learn more um, or, you know, read what you've written or um, or anything like that, where would they, where would they find you or find, you know, some of the books or um, I think you mentioned that you do a little bit of podcasting yourself, something like that. Where would they be able to find out more? Um, well, I, I love when people contact me privately. Um, mm-hmm. at, at kind of at any given time in the middle of, yeah, you know, I don't know, three, four or five <laughs> sort of, long-term exchanges by email with questions and answers so that's one thing i really enjoy my my own my own uh, son-in-laws is, is my is my true son in faith you know it's just a long story there but it, it kind of evolved that same way started writing letters to each other and so there's that um i mean i do have two books out there prepared to answer and more prepared to answer which is um addressing these questions from a biblical narrative point of view um otherwise i don't know Come to MLC, <laughs> become a future yeah, pastor, and take the class. I guess. Oh, I was curious, by the way, Pastor, are you aware of the book? Since you mentioned a book to me that I wrote down here, Sticky Faith, are you aware of the book called Tactics? E- no. Okay. Can I recommend this briefly? Definitely. Do we have time? Definitely. Okay. Yeah. It's um, by an author named Greg Kugel, and it's called Tactics. Listening to him talk, I don't happen to love his style in every way um he he tends to write about you know being humble and winsome but that's not kind of how he comes across sometimes but anyway (laughs) very valuable book it's uh really made a major contribution i think it's it's um getting some traction in the wells as well (laughs) and so the book the premise of the book goes to one of your questions um that we didn't talk a lot about the premise of the book is that any christian can be an apologist right now today no matter how much you know, and that it can be that there's a very non-adversarial approach that the book suggests. And it kind of goes something like this. Um, if you or your listeners know the old TV show Columbo, does that ring a bell? I grew up with this TV show. My dad's favorite show was Columbo. So so there's this, for those who don't know, there's this rumpled detective um, named Columbo who has a style of just kind of, how do you describe it? He's just constantly saying to people, I don't, you got to help me here to understand this. You just got to help me here to understand this. So what about this way? And so the Columbo approach is to ask three kinds of questions of people. And number one is just to say, what do you mean by that? And, and not in a defensive way, not in an attacking gotcha way. Just I really want to understand this. You tell me the church is full of hypocrites. What, tell me what you mean by that. And and you can ask that question over and over. <laughs> um, and this is what we role play in our class, just how, what it feels like. Number two, you can ask a kind of question that goes like, how have you come to think that way? So why do you think that's true? And it's it's useful because there's just a lot of, um, somebody's called them shallow postmoderns out there who raise objections that they themselves don't really understand. So you know that um, there used to be dozens and dozens of gospels. And did you know this, Pastor, that the Council of Nicaea suppressed all but four of the Gospels and elevated this other, elevated these four. Yeah, they chose the books um, of the Bible. Yeah, and decided then and there that Jesus is the Son of God. Let's go with that story. And so so let's say someone tells this to you, and let's say you don't know anything about this. You've never thought about it. Mm -hmm. You've never heard it before. What you say is, oh, that's an interesting story. Why do you think that's true? 
and what you're going to find is a shell of postmodern doesn't know. <laughs> They're just repeating something they've heard, you know? And so what do you mean by that? Explain this to me. I want to understand it. Number two is how have you come to think that's true? Mm-hmm. And number three is the one that depends on gaining some knowledge and experience. So number three is have you thought about such and such? Can I just ask you to thought about and that could be the whole New Testament quoted by church fathers before 180, maybe with one exception, um, all around the ancient world. Have you thought about that? You know, so we we gain certain elements of these somewhat useful arguments over time. But I think what Kukul is arguing is that the only way to learn to do apologetics is by doing apologetics. He kind of says the home run is to be in the conversation. The home run is to be at the play. That's That's the goal here. I remember talking about this in a men's group one time and uh, a lay person put his hand up and he said, you know what I do? I force myself to do this. And I, I challenge your listeners. When I meet someone, we're going to know each other sometime early on. I'm going to say to them, you know what? Can I just ask you, do you believe in God? Mm-hmm. And the person will either say yes. And we can, we can kind of enjoy that little connection or they'll say no. And well, tell me why not. And what he's saying is I learned. I learn. I learn what the questions are. I learn where people are at and I learn how to answer those things. But how am I going to learn that sort of in a vacuum? Mm-hmm. You know, I just, I'm... so he says, for example, the young person at the university in a classroom and that popular college professor says such and such about, well, you know, nobody takes that book seriously anymore. You know, just total misinformation, right? Uh, you know, no one thinks even Jesus lived and you know that, right? No one even thinks he really lived. Oh my goodness. But he, but the college student just puts her hand up in the air and say, Professor, what do you mean by that? And he will probably try to turn the tables on her. He'll say, are you one of those Christians that believes this nonsense? And But she's just not to let that happen. She, no, Professor, I'm just asking what you meant by what you said. You just said such and such. I want to know why you think that's true. And just learning, kind of learning how to be in that non-defensive posture. Um, I think there's something to that, that this Colombo approach. I think there's something to letting a whole lot of the tension drain out of that. If I'm just terrified of what the questions will be, let's, let's say I have the conversation. I get beat up a little bit. I kind of, you know, I didn't have a good answer. I walk away feeling foolish. All I got to say is, well, Joe, you've clearly thought about this more than I have. And let me just, let me just step back and think about this. That's all I got to say. And so um, helping people not to be afraid of that would be just a huge gain all by itself, right? A huge gain all by itself. So I think that's, the first chapter in the book or a couple of chapters is about that approach. There's more, uh-huh. uh, there's more to the approach, but that's just a good starting point. So, well, that's so that's encouragement to your listeners and to your members, pastor, that I can maybe get in the game. I don't have to sit. I mean, much as I'm sure they love your Bible studies. I hope they keep coming, <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> but I don't have I'm to, done. I don't have to be here for 45 hours before I can even contemplate uh-huh. having an actual conversation, you know, yeah, makes sense. Of the, of the making of books and much study, there is no end. And, uh, <laughs> That's right. And you could just study it forever and ever and <laughs> and never actually exactly. apply it in the way it needs to be. That's that's my concern. Exactly. Awesome. Well, that uh, that wraps us up. Um, we'll probably have you on again, you know, in a couple of months, when maybe with Love this it. topic or a different topic. Um, <laughs> I know you've got a, a lot of insight and experience on topic of communications as well and uh, relationships, especially like couples and marriage and that sort of a thing. Um, but I'll leave I'll leave your email also in the show notes for both of these episodes, and uh, and people can feel free to contact you. Absolutely. 
Well, thanks so much for your time. This is great, Pastor. Thank you. Great to reconnect with you again, and, and God bless all you do in Jesus' name. And that was part three of our discussion with Professor Mark Poston on the topic of doubt, confidence, and faith. You can rewind to the past two Saturdays if you missed parts one and two. And uh, I, I found a new setting in Zoom. We recorded that using Zoom, and I found a new setting that will hopefully improve the audio, audio quality just a little bit. Next week, we take up, we continue our series on apologetics, and we take up a Bible class that we've been using here, running here at Resurrection Lutheran Church in Maumee, Ohio, um, entitled Questions People Ask. And so next week is kind of a basic, um, maybe a little bit more than basic introduction to Lutheran apologetics. And then over the next few Saturdays, we'll be featuring questions that have been asked by our congregation members here, um, by a couple congregation members from the church that I used to serve in Fairmont, Minnesota, as well as a couple of questions that came in through the podcast and podcast listeners. If you have any questions that you would like included in this series, anonymously, of course, um, or if there is anybody that you know of, that you would like to hear interviewed for our podcast, or finally, a particular series that you would like us to discuss in these Saturday series, please contact us. The contact info is in the show notes, rwjpodcast at gmail.com or raisedwithjesus.com slash podcast. I want to thank you for joining us today and for being a subscriber and a listener. God bless your day.